Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. The comeback. We started this series last week, the comeback. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, the comeback, it, it, it's not necessarily about being behind on the scoreboard. We see the comeback as I'm losing and I got to come back and try to try to win. And if you watched the game last night, you know, go Jags. They had an amazing comeback last night. Um, we see the comeback as I'm losing and I got to catch up. But I don't believe that God sees the comeback that way. God doesn't see us as losing because that's not what the comeback spirit is. The comeback is really more about us changing what we see to God's perspective. The comeback is really more about us getting our thoughts and our, our words and our life in alignment with what God promised he would do. So God sees the comeback not as us. We took an L in the last season, and so now we got to catch back up. No, God sees the comeback as his sons and his daughters beginning to believe his word. God sees it as a performance of his word. We see the comeback then as God's word is working in our lives. It's the comeback. And I believe this is a season of comeback. It's a season of coming back and getting in the presence of God. It's a season of coming back to the place that God called us to. It's a place of coming back to that place of purity and holiness before our Heavenly Father. It's coming back to passion for the name of Jesus. It's coming back to being, man, I, like, I don't want to just live for anything. I want to live on purpose. It's coming back to I want my life to count for eternity and not just do some nice things on this earth. There's a comeback season that God is bringing his people into. And so today I want to stir up this comeback spirit inside of you. Come on, anybody ready for the comeback? Um, here's this comeback spirit is Romans chapter 8, verse 31. It says this, it says, what shall we say then in response to all these things? Anybody experienced all these things? <laughs> if you lived, you know, all these things is life. You know, and life has this way of being really great sometimes, and life has this way of just out of nowhere, like trying to knock you out, trying to take you down, or trying to overwhelm you. And, and I, I wish I could tell you that, you know, when you serve Jesus, that it's just sunshine and roses all the time, and you'll never experience anything bad or tough or challenging, but that's just not the case. But the promise is, is that as you're going through those things, you know, you have the choice. You can either uh, live according to the principles of God or you can just live in defeat and being overwhelmed. And here he's telling us what God's will for our life is, what God's promise is. He says, what shall we say in response to all these things? And our world is full of people saying all kinds of things in response to all these things. Oh, they'll just never be good for them again. This is just too much. They just can't take it. They're just so depressed. They're just full of anxiety. This is going to destroy them. This is driving them crazy. This is driving them up a wall. This is going to kill them. This is going to, our world is full of that. He says, if God is for us, who can be against you, baby? You know what I'm saying? Like that's the PCV version, Pastor Chris version. Is that all right? Like he says, if God is for us, who could be against us? Skip down to verse 37. No, in all these things. And how many things? All these things. So does that include when people are talking bad about you at work? Does that include when your family members are leaving you out? 
Yeah, does that include when, when there's a loss, when there's a financial breakdown? Does that include when gas is over $3 a gallon? Come on, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Another translation says, we have overwhelming victory through Christ. So if you're not experiencing overwhelming victory, it could be you're trying to do it all on your own. He says, it's through Christ. It's like, I can't do this, Jesus, without you. Like, I need you. God, lead me, guide me, speak to me. What do I do? Like, it's that level. That's how we do this through Christ. And so I want to stir up this comeback spirit in you. Today, the word of the Lord is get in his presence. Get in his presence. The year is 1908. In Chicago, baseball is at its peak because the Chicago Cubs have just won the World Series. Let's go. As great as that is, fast forward 108 years to 2016, the Cubs have not yet still won another World Series. It would be the longest span of time in all of professional sports between championships. 108 years. And here in the 2016 season, they've got some footage they're going to put up there. The 2016 baseball season the Cubs finished the season with the best record in baseball 103 wins they are the favorites going into the World Series against the Cleveland Indians slash Guardians is what they're called now but somehow being the favorites the Cubs found themselves down three games to one in the World Series out of the best of seven and here they needed a comeback because in all of baseball history, only six teams have ever come back from being down 3-1 to one in the World Series. The Cubs were able to win two of those games to force a decisive Game 7. That Game 7 was crazy. I remember watching it, texting my friend Doug back and forth the whole time because he's also a Cubs fan. And, man, back and forth the game, and it ended in the ninth inning tie ball game. The game would go to a decisive 10th inning, but right before the 10th inning, there was a 17-minute rain delay. And it was during this rain delay in the locker room, the Cubs outfielder, Jason Hayward, would gather the Cubs together and give an impassioned speech about, guys, we can do this. We are the best. We can rise up and win. And I believe that was the catalyst for them to come back out in the next inning, score two runs, win the World Series for the first time in 108 years, and maybe that long before it'll be that long again. Who knows? But I believe that sometimes this 108 years is the picture of our lives. So many Christians go through life believing, adopting this mindset. I mean, the Cub fans call themselves the lovable, lovable losers. And so often we take this mindset of, well, this is as good as it will be. I, yeah, I, I'm saved. I, I got my Bible. I go to church. But we a, a, adopt a less than victorious mindset. We adopt a, a mindset that says, well, like some, like some people will have a better life than me, and it's just not in the cards for me. Overwhelming victory, that sounds really great, Pastor, but that's not really the reality of my life. And we adopt this less than, uh, uh, less than mindset, less than what Jesus suffered and paid for on the cross for us to have, and we go through our lives with this losing spirit. It is time for a comeback. 
Sometimes, though, there needs to be a catalyst for the comeback, a catalyst, a, a spark, something that fuels the comeback in our lives. For the Cubs, it was that moment with Jason Hayward. For us, I believe that the catalyst for our comeback is being in the presence of God. That is the catalyst for our comeback. You know, it's this overcoming spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not just like uh, something to just tell you that you can, you know, do any. Like, no, like this is like the reality. Like through Christ, I can forgive the unforgivable. Through Christ, even when I'm feeling like I'm falling apart, I can still lift my hands and worship. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, see, it's this overcoming spirit, I believe, like, uh, like, that it's like it should be your Instagram byline, you know, like uh, Chris, the, more than a conqueror, the comeback artist, you know, like like it's this comeback spirit. I believe God wants to bring out of us, and it's just the choice is yours of whether you want the circumstances to rule you, or if you want to allow the spirit of God to come out of you in that moment to let strength of from God walk you through in the midst of that. Um, this reminds me of a comeback story in the Bible. Um, it's in the book of Acts, chapter 1. If you want to turn there, you can. They'll have the scriptures on the screen as well. Maybe you've got the free version Bible app on your phone or your tablet. You can get that out as well. But there's a story how the very church, uh, very first church began. In fact, the church that we're a part of is from this church, right? So it, w- this, is, this is as much as it is the disciple story, it's our story. It's this comeback story. And we know the story of Jesus leading up to this moment where we're going to read today. Jesus was born as a baby. We just celebrated Christmas. We saw the manger and all that kind of stuff, right? He lived on this earth 33 years. The last three years of those 33 were his ministry where he preached and he taught and he performed miracles and all kinds of amazing things. And we know at the end of those three years, he was betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas. He was arrested, wrongfully accused, beaten, taken to the cross, uh, tortured and eventually crucified, died on the cross, buried in a borrowed tomb, raised to life on the third day. And the scripture tells us that after that third day that he was resurrected from the dead, says that he appeared to over 400 people over the next 40 days. And it says he gave convincing proofs that he was alive. So which, by the way, that's the original and the greatest comeback story there ever is, you know, uh, but here, that's where we pick up the story. Jesus is resurrected. Uh, he's, got, he's been with the disciples these 40 days, appearing to them, giving these convincing proofs. And now they're out on a hillside, on a mountain. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says, One occasion Jesus was eating with them. He gave the disciples this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. The gift that he's talking about is the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So in in other words, Jesus is saying, Okay, guys, I know I gave you the Great Commission. Go into all the world. I want you to go and and preach about Jesus. You're going to do miracles greater than any that he's ever done. But before you do that, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait. I want you to wait there for this thing until you receive the Holy Spirit. You can't do it without the power from the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus had taught them uh, in great detail about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit would bring in their life, how he would be a gift for every believer. Um, 
This is not a message about the Holy Spirit, although we've preached those before. You can read Jesus' words about the Holy Spirit. It's the book of John, chapter 14, 15, and 16. Um, you can read that and study that if you want to know that for yourself. But um, verse 6, um, it says this. It says, they gathered around him, Jesus, and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So the Romans had conquered the world, including Israel, and kind of ruled that time. And the, the Jewish people had long believed that when the Messiah would come, he would overthrow the governments of this world and, and bring salvation to the people. It's just that the disciples thought that Jesus meant like the natural world, like that he was going to kick the Romans out. And so they're asking him, Jesus, is this it? Are we ready to go? Like, let's go Let's go overthrow the Romans. We're going to do this thing. Let's go. You know, like the disciples, that's where they're at. And Jesus, I love this. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. In other words, Jesus said, nope. <laughs> it's a very spiritual answer that Jesus gave them. Short version is, no, I'm not doing that right now. See, what happens so often is that when God speaks to us, we, we sense that God is moving. And, and even when, when God reveals his word to us, we tend to have a natural view of things because we're people. It's, it's just how we are. We see the natural world around us. We see buildings and trees and cars. Like we see the natural world, but we don't see the spiritual realm with our physical eyes. But it's just as real as the natural world, right? But, and we see in the disciples here, they know what Jesus has spoken to them about heaven, about the Holy Spirit, about what Jesus would do. They experienced the cross, and now they're experiencing the resurrection, and, and yet they still can only have this natural view of what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus is like, oh, we still don't got it. Let me make it plain for you guys. It's not the natural. Right? And I don't know about you, but too often when God speaks or moves in my life, I tend to have this natural view too. But what God, when, when God moves... God doesn't move in the natural. God moves in the supernatural. Okay? That's not like spooky or sci-fi or any, like, like, it's just, it's the spiritual. God moves in the, the supernatural, the spiritual realm. And what he does is he anoints his people. He puts his spirit in people to release the supernatural into the natural. That's how God moves. God moves through his people. Of course, God does miraculous things on his own. He can and he does. But by and large, predominantly, God releases the supernatural through his people, through his anointing. He puts it in people. Let me show you this in the next verse. Jesus says, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. He said, what? Until you receive this power. Until you receive the access to the supernatural. But you, he says, will receive power when what? When you pray enough? When you're good enough, when you think you've got your life together, no. He says you'll receive this power, supernatural power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He says then you can be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hidden from their sight. Isn't that awesome? Think about this like moment. You're standing there with Jesus and he's teaching you and your mind is like being blown because it's Jesus, you know. And, and there he is. In one moment, you're looking at him face to face. And in the next moment, he's like, Phew. and you, you all thought Superman was original. 
They plagiarized the Bible right there. Jesus just like flying up into the clouds. I mean, that would be awesome. I hope that when I get to heaven, like there's a movie that I can sit down and watch in the heavenly theater room just, just to like watch what actually happened. Wouldn't that be so cool? Like that's, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. It's not in the Bible. Please don't quote me. It's just like that would be awesome. They're standing here in the spiritually high moment. Can you like? Like they've seen, they were at the cross, they've seen Jesus resurrected, and now they see Jesus ascend into heaven. Like you ain't never seen somebody fly before. They never had movies and superheroes. And here Jesus right into heavens and all of a sudden he's gone. And as awesome as that moment would be, I, I can imagine the longer they're standing there looking at the clouds, how that awesome, super spiritual moment would slowly not be that way. <laughs> you know, like, Exactly. Like, Jesus, you coming back, bro? Can't see you anymore, bro. Where'd you go? <laughs> like, Jesus like, no, it'll be a couple thousand years. But you all right. You're going to be okay. You know, this awesome spiritually high moment probably turned to how most of us would feel. Alone. God, I can't do this without you. I, I, I Like, like what, what's supposed to happen next? What, wait, what did he say? I wasn't really, I didn't write it down. Uh, they probably felt the way that most of us would feel, like, like maybe confused, a little worried, what's going on? I thought we were going to overthrow the Romans, um, and, and now I can't see you anymore. And, and I, I just find that a little encouraging because there's been so many times in my life where God has spoken something to me, and then it's like, but wait, how do I do this? Anybody ever felt that way before? I remember even moving here to Florida and just like, okay, like, uh, like God gave us the vision. He gave us the direction uh, of what to do. But then, like, once <laughs> after that, we start packing boxes and getting the moving truck. And then things start not working out the way that, you know, we plan it out. Because I, I, if you're like me, when God speaks to you, you have a tendency to run on ahead of what God said. So you start planning things out. Okay, God, I heard you, but now we're going to do this, and then we're going to do that, and then we're going to, and it's going to look this way, and it's going to be like this. And, and God is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just told you about this. And now you're planning out the rest. Like, you've got to relax and just trust me in this right now. And that's where so much disappointment sets in and so much letdown sets in because we want to run ahead of ourselves. And Jesus is like, go to Jerusalem and wait. Just sit there and wait on me. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit until I give you the next thing so that you would be empowered to be effective everywhere you go. And so I find this encouraging that they were discouraged and God still used them and says these were the ones that turned the world upside down. That when I get a little ahead of myself sometimes too, like I can come back to the place and God can still use my life. Isn't that good to know? It says this uh, in, in verse 12, and I love this because what the, what the disciples did next is probably, probably the secret to, to, walk, to living in your calling. You ready for this? Anybody? Okay, okay. So I'll make sure. The secret to living in your calling, to, to having God speak to you and reveal to you what, what he has for your life, the secret is, is just obedience. Obedience to what he said. Look at verse 12. The apostles then... They didn't know what to do. They returned to Jerusalem. That's what Jesus said. Go to Jerusalem. Wait there. They returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women. Come on, ladies. And, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. What's so interesting here is one moment they're with Jesus. He's physically there standing there. But yet when they go back to Jerusalem the next moment, guess what? They're still with Jesus. 
You see that it says they were joined together praying constantly. Like in one moment they're physically with Jesus. He's in heaven. The next moment they're together praying. They're still with Jesus. That just tells me that being in the presence of God is not restricted to a place or a person or a method. Being in the presence of God and learning to be in his presence on a continual basis is, is something that I can learn to do no matter where I'm at. It says they were, they were in his presence. See, they're gathered there. Look what it says in Psalms 16, verse 11. It says, you've made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Isn't that good? With eternal pleasures at your right hand. So is your life, is your emotions... Is your thoughts needing joy? Well, here's the secret. It's right there in the book. It's not actually a secret. If you need joy, it's found where? In the presence of God. It's not found in a relationship. It's not found in a pill or in a bottle or in a in scrolling or whatever else. The secret of joy. Joy is that thing, you know, it's different than happiness because happen, happiness is what happens to you. And so you're happy or you're not happy. Jo happiness is a feeling. Joy is an internal core thing. It's an it's a, a attitude of the heart. It's part of who I am. Well, that's how I can have joy in anything. And when I actually have joy from the Spirit of God, that's what then allows me on my worst day, when I experience loss, when I don't have enough money, somebody betrays me, someone leaves me, someone's talking about me, when I feel left out, I can still have joy in the middle of it. And that joy then provides strength for me to walk through in faith whatever it is I'm going through. Because I've been in the presence of God and I've allowed joy to fill me up. But for those that, man, when, when you have not been in the presence of God, like that's where the lack of joy becomes. That's where then worry that begins to override. And then we begin to look at the economy or whatever. And it's like, I don't know if we're going to have enough. I probably, we, we, we can't really give right now because then what would happen? Like I got to make sure I have, because we, we haven't been in his presence to allow joy just to come in and we can be cheerful about giving, knowing that, we're, uh, that God always provides greater than we could ever give. Come on, there's joy in his presence. I would say it this way. One of the most important things you can do in life is to continually be in God's presence. Let me say it one more time. One of the most important things you can do in this life is to continually be in God's presence. Psalms 94, 19 says, when anxiety was great within me. Somebody's like, that's my life verse, Pastor. <laughs> and, you know, I find that encouraging to know that the psalmist here is, has anxiety is experiencing a moment of depression, a moment of worry, because I'm a person too, and sometimes I feel that way. Anybody else? Come on, y'all wanted a real pastor, right? Not somebody who you couldn't, like, like, we're just people, and sometimes we feel a certain way. But listen, a feeling doesn't define who I am. A moment of feeling doesn't determine the rest of my life unless I decide to stay there. He says, when anxiety was great in me, your consolation or your comfort brought me joy. Your presence, in other words. I love the way the Passion Translation says the same verse, Psalms 94, 19. Whenever my busy thoughts were out of control, the soothing comfort of your presence would calm me down and overwhelm me with delight. Man, I love that. Anytime my thoughts are racing out of control, worry, fear, I don't know what to do, I feel inferior, I feel not good enough, I feel not worth it. Man, the soothing presence of God. 
calms me down. Isn't that good? Just brings me joy in that moment. Sounds good, doesn't it? And it's, it's, it's not too good to be true. It's the promise of God for your life. You don't have to believe it. Our world is full of people looking for this very thing. And we have it. It's right here in the book. People are looking for it. They're looking for it in everything. Trying to find it in meditation or hakuna matata or good vibes only. They're trying to find it in this relationship, that relationship, in this bottle, in that, in this song, in this artist, in this obsession, that obsession. Whatever it is, it's not found in any of those things. Peace. The soothing presence of God. The ability to allow the swirling and the chaos of life not to affect me on the inside. To be calm in those moments is found where? In the presence of God. So if you haven't been experiencing that, man, God brought you here today to deliver the message of hope to you today. To bring this calm, this peace to your life. And I've been praying this week that there would be this awakening inside of you. That this is for you. This is meant to be the description of your life, that you could walk and live this way if you will continually get in the presence of God. Listen, there's no confusion, no pain, no disorder the world wants to label you with that his presence cannot calm. That's good right there. And if you're not spending time with God on a regular basis, come on, listen, listen, you're missing out on the very best part of knowing him. Knowing God is not about following a sheet of rules. It's not about uh, checking all the spiritual boxes or trying to be a better person. Jesus didn't come to the earth to make bad people good. Jesus came to the earth to make dead people alive in him so that we could know him. The best part of knowing God or being a Christian or being saved is spending time in the presence of God. I just encourage you. And it's not something that, I mean, I can tell you about it. But until you experience it for yourself, that's why the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. you gotta, you got to take that moment of, of faith to just step in and say, okay, God, I'm going to spend time with you so that I can experience the best of who you are. I love what Psalms 42 says. As the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for God. This is the comeback spirit right here. Coming back to the presence of God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God. That's a good question to know the answer to. The answer is anywhere. You can be in the meeting at work, at school. You can be taking a test and invite the presence of God. Come on, students, right there in the middle of you. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a sound and a clear mind, bringing everything back to my mind that I studied. God, I thank you that you've made me smart and intelligent. I'm going to show it right here on this test. Right? Come on, we can be anywhere and invite the presence of God into our lives. So what is the catalyst for your comeback? Come on, it's continually being in the presence of God. Today I want to share six uh, practical ways because, like, I'm a, I'm a practical guy. Like, it's, it's great. I hope you're inspired, encouraged, but I'm a how guy. How does that work? How do I get in the presence of God? That's, that's just how my mind works. And so I have six keys, I think, that are going to help us uh, to be in the presence of God on a continual basis. Hopefully if you're taking notes, uh, you'll write these down. Um, hopefully I have time to get through them all. <laughs> That's a pastor joke. If you didn't, some of you, I, I got a clock. Don't worry, I'll end on time. If I don't finish them, we'll finish them later. Here's the first one. If we want to continually be in the presence of God, number one, we need to be rightly related together. What did the disciples do? They, well, we know they obeyed. They went to Jerusalem, 
but they were together. It says they, they returned to Jerusalem. They went upstairs where they were staying. They joined in prayer, men and women. Come on. The disciples might have missed some things. They might have not got it all right, but they knew they needed to be together. They knew they needed each other, and the truth is we need each other too. We need to be together. I love what Hebrews 10, 25 says. Let us not give up or neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So what's your habit? You don't have to answer me right now, but he's just saying there's a habit, and it's either my habit is to be in the house or to be doing something else. He says let's not neglect the habit of being together. He says but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So if you're looking around and you're like, where's so-and-so? Listen, baby. Get out the phone, send him a text, give him a call. Before church next week, get on the phone and be like, hey, I'm going to swing by and pick you up and be ready at 1015 so we don't miss worship. You know what I mean? Like, like he says, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord's return. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, and some will be prepared for his return to go with him into eternity, and some won't and will enter eternity separated from him in hell forever. And it's not based on who Jesus likes or who did a good job. It's based on every individual's person decision on this earth to receive him as their Savior or to reject him. And I'm just going to do whatever I can in my life to bring as many people. We're going to plunder hell and populate heaven. Let's make heaven crowded. you know what I'm saying? So, like, don't wait for me to just be the sole driving invite force of the church. I'm not the only minister here. This is a room full of ordained ministers. Come on, somebody. Like, he says, encourage one another. We need each other. We need to be together. And it's not just so that the church is big and whatever. No, it's so that heaven is big. The truth is, isolation is the devil's trap. We've been through 2020. We experienced in our society, the results of isolation, it was an increase of domestic abuse, an increase of suicides, an increase of depression and anxiety in people. All kinds of evil came out of this isolation. In prison, they call isolation solitary confinement. It's where they take a prisoner, lock them up in a little room with no contact, no light, no windows, just that person, no relationships, no interactions, just that one person. And time and time and time again, that person in solitary confinement, in isolation, goes mad, goes crazy, loses their mind, can't handle it. Why? Because you weren't made to do life alone. In the Bible, there's no Lone Ranger Christians. No, in fact, most of the New Testament church the things that the church does are things that you cannot do alone. You physically need others. Like, this is how God designed it. That's why we love the churches in our city and, and why we pray for them and encourage them. And, and when we have opportunities, so into them and them into us. I'm so thankful for uh, a, a good friend of mine, Pastor Jeremy, on the west side of our city, celebrating 10 years as a church this weekend. And we love Kingdom Culture Church on that side there. Amazing. We need each other in this church, and we need other churches. It's not a competition. We are in this thing together. See, it's, it's, I believe, through the church. When you read the scriptures, it's through the church that God releases his anointing, releases his power to flow out of that place. 
It's when people get off on their own that deception gets brought in. I've seen it time and time again. Oh, pastor, I don't need to be in church. I've got a Bible. I can study it on my own. I'm going to listen to this podcast and this podcast and this podcast. And then they're not planted anywhere. They're not rooted anywhere. They have no covering because they're not under anyone's authority. And so then the enemy is free to bring deception in, cloud their mind. And I've seen so many people get pulled off into all different kinds of things because they haven't been together. They've been isolated. They've been alone. This is why one reason at Victory, we always say and truly believe we are better together. Once you look at somebody sitting beside you and say we're better together. Yeah, look at how Jesus said it. You don't have to take my word for it. It's the red letters, Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, in Jesus' name, there I am with them. So if you want to be in the presence of God, get around his people. That's why we make it a habit. We will never stop lifting up the name of Jesus in this church. As long as I have a say-so, this church will be all about lifting up the name of Jesus, glorifying him because it is all about him. And when we do, when there's more than two or three of us in this room, God's presence is here right now. So if you need to continually be in God's presence, get around some people who are in God's presence. Get in the church. Get in a life-giving church. Not a ritualistic dead place. Get in a place where the presence of God is, where the name of Jesus is magnified. And plant your life there. So what does it mean to be rightly related? Because I, I use that phrase a lot. Because you can be in the church and be wrongly related. So what does it mean to be rightly related to people in the church? It's a great question. Thanks for asking. Uh, <laughs> being rightly related together, it doesn't mean that we're best friends with everyone. Because that's really impossible when you think about it. Even, even a, a church that's growing that's our size, you cannot know everyone that's here. You cannot know everyone in the church. It's, it's physical impossibility for you to be best friends with everybody. In fact, our goal is not that everyone would know everyone. Sorry to burst your bubble. But what is our goal? Our goal is that everyone would be known, that everyone would be challenged to grow, and that everyone would be loved. Come on, that's the goal. Right? Especially as we continue to grow, like we can't know everybody. We can't spend time with everybody. There are people that are close to us that God is bringing in our lives. Being rightly related means I have people in my life that are spiritually more mature than I am. Right? And I've seen their maturity on display, not through social media posts, but in their response. Because maturity is, is shown in how I respond to people and things, not what I talk about and put out there. It's my response to things. It's, it's the evidence. Jesus said you will know it by the fruit, the results of my life. So before you just say, oh, they, they're, they're very spiritually mature because they know a lot about the Bible. They're good people. That does not make a person spiritually mature. I know a lot of people who have been in the church 30 years and are spiritual babies. But I'm just glad to be surrounded by a bunch of people who aren't spiritual babies. Come on. Is that you? Come on, that is you. I'm talking about you. Being rightly related means I have people in my life that are more spiritually mature than me that regularly speak into my life, that can correct me, that can call me up to a higher level, that can uh, speak into my life. It also means that I have people in my life 
who are not as spiritually mature as me that I'm speaking into regularly, that I'm speaking faith into, not just hanging out in the dumps. That's where we get it mixed up. See, this is called discipleship, where someone is speaking into me and then I'm speaking into other people. The challenge that I see where people get off and being rightly related when they, they've got that person that's more spiritually mature than them that's speaking into them. But then when they look to pour into somebody else, instead of speaking into that person to pull them up, they just get down to their level. They start just engaging in all the same. No, no, no. You're, you're meant to have someone pouring into your life, speaking into you, and then you're meant to replicate that into somebody else. It's called discipleship. It's how we grow, right? And, and listen, if you don't have both of those things, then your odds are you're not rightly related in the church. You need to be rightly related. Being rightly related in the house means some people, even good people, don't have a spot in my life anymore. I know it sounds really harsh, but listen, we're not just talking about just living the baseline kind of life. If that's what you want to live, that's where you want to be, cool, that's your choice. But as for me and my house, we're going after all God has. And listen, some people just don't want to go there. Some people will not get you there. It's like if you need marriage advice, I encourage you, talk to my friends Billy and Dora. Right? How long have you all been married? 57? If you need some marriage advice, that's the kind of people you need to get around. 57 years. It, you know, like, if, if you want to be a more successful business person, get around the person that's running a successful business for more than three weeks. You, we understand those concepts, but then we allow relationships in our lives to remain or add or whatever else who aren't that way because we just see that we're trying to be nice, we're trying to be good, good people, we're, but we're not pouring into them. There's no reciprocation. They're not receiving anything. It's just a relationship that's being a drag away from the presence of God in our lives, from the calling of God in our lives. And listen, uh, like I, I'm not, we're never rude to people. We're never unkind. We love everyone, but just not everyone's going to have a seat at the table in my life because I'm going hard after the things of God. And if you want to be rightly related with people in the house, you're going to have to make those decisions who some people will hold you back from continually being in the presence of God. You can call it the complainers. You can call it the gossips. You can call it whatever you want. We just need, listen, this is what's called spiritual discernment in the area of our relationships. And we need to grow up a little bit in this area, church. I love you. But we need to grow in the spiritual discernment of the people Around us, 1 Corinthians 5.33 says it best. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And listen, he doesn't just mean like don't hang out at the bars and with the drug dealers. Like if you hang out there, you probably will start drinking and doing drugs. Like that probably will happen. But he's not just talking about the glaring obvious bad. What if we switched out some, some of the words? Don't be misled. Complainers corrupt good character. Gossipers will corrupt the thanksgiving in you. The angry will corrupt the love of God that you want to display in your life, right? It's those level of things. That's where the discernment has to come in. And my, my wife, uh, Pastor Heather, her uncle Rod tells us all the time. He says, guys, show me your friends. I'll show you your future. I, I say it this way, your crew determines your view. Those who you're around determines what you can see. So the people you hang around the most will determine if what you see is good or if everything has problems. I've been, in, I mean, 
regularly people will come to me and say, well, there's just, there's just bad things going on in the church and things are just whatever. And at the same time, I'll turn around and somebody else will come up to me and say, this is amazing. God is moving in this place and I'm just so excited about how the church is growing. How is it that two people in the same room experience the same thing can see completely different things? Well, your crew determines your view. And you, so we've, we've just, we've got to realize, like, if you want to be in the presence of God, you need to get around some people who are passionate about this. Proverbs 13, 20 says, if you want to grow in wisdom, spend time with the wise. But if you walk with the wicked, you'll eventually become just like them. That's why it's important. We're not related to just anyone haphazardly. We're going to get around those who are going the direction we want to go, or we will end up going a direction we don't want to go. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners sit or sit in the company of mockers. Another word for mockers used there is the scornful. Scorning, hanging around those who mock and scorn the things of God, who mock and scorn the house of God, who mock and scorn the, the leaders of God and the people of God. We, if we sit around and stay in those places, guess what? We take on those attitudes. And it won't be long before us and our entire family will be infected with this way of thinking. But then he gives us a completely different way of living. If we don't want that, what's the alternative? He says this, blessed is the one whose delight is what? In the law of the Lord, who meditates on it day and night, is in the presence of God. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in the season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. I don't know about you, I want, to, like, I want that last part to be what describes my life. Anybody else with me? Come on, I want to prosper in all that I do. And just realize not everyone is full of the fire of God. Not everyone is about living according to the word of God. Like, we got to choose our associations by those who are living according to the word of God. That's why, honestly, why we have groups here at Victory. Because I know finding those kinds of relationships is great to preach about. It's easy to say, hard to find. But that's why groups exist, to facilitate an easy way for you to find those right relationships in this life. And so I just encourage you, groups will be starting here in just a few weeks. Here's another way to be in the presence of God because my time's getting short is we got to pray. If you want to continually be in the presence of God, we pray. That in most basic form, prayer is communication with God. It's connection to the Father. And um, I believe prayer is such a big deal to God because it is all about connection. It's all about talking to Him and, and, and knowing Him. So many people, uh, you know, Prayer has been made to be a lot of things, uh, whether it's a, a big ritual or whatever, or it's a formula or whatever. At its most basic form, prayer is a conversation between you and the Creator, between you and your Heavenly Father. So I would just encourage you, because so many people, I don't know how to pray. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't pray very good. I, I definitely don't want to pray out loud, you know, <laughs> whatever. I just encourage you, the only way that you can mess up praying is to not do it. You can pray great. Just the way you pray right now, just do it. Just do it. And see, what happens is if you will just do it, you will get better at praying. But those that always choose the excuse instead to say, ah, I'm not going to pray, I don't know how to do it, I'm not good, they never will get better because they refuse to do it. 
If you want to get better, just start doing it. And it doesn't have to sound great. You don't have to sound like a super spiritual person. Just start telling, like, God, this is messed up right now. Like, God, like, where are you in this? When you get up in the morning and you put your feet on the ground, hey, God, what's up? Thank you for giving me life today because tomorrow is not promised to you. So if you wake up, it is a gift from God. Like, Prayer is just simple. Like, thank you, God, for this, this rice cake I'm about to eat. It tastes terrible, but I'm going to eat it with thanks. And, you know, like, just have conversation with God, just like you would with a friend or a spouse. And you'll find so much joy in making jokes with God. And God will speak to you. You can pray alone. You can pray with your spouse. Come on, husband and wife, y'all need to be praying together. Pray with your kids. Pray online. We pray corporately as a church. You can pray with friends. You can pray quietly. You can pray with your thoughts. You can pray out loud, which I believe one of the best ways to grow in your prayer is pray out loud every day. Come on. Uh, You can pray in English. You can pray in Spanish. You can pray in Portuguese. You can pray in Russian. You can pray in what the Bible calls in tongues or in other languages. It's praying in the Spirit. You can pray that way. You can pray as you sing. Uh, You can write your prayers. In fact, much of the New Testament is when uh, people would write their prayers down. Beloved, I pray above all that you would prosper. and be Like, it's prayers that are written down. And that is a great way to pray. If you're like, I don't know what to pray. One thing I do regularly is I'll get the Bible out and I'll find one of those prayers at the beginning of a book in the New Testament. Genesis. I mean, not Genesis. Galatians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and, and I'll just, there's, there's a prayer at the beginning of each chapter, and I'll just begin to pray it over my family. God, I thank you that you continue to guide Bella today, and that she would, that you would speak to her the light of your salvation, that she would know the depth and the breadth and the width and the height of your love in her life, and pray those things over your family, a great way to pray. Is this good today? I know I'm going fast, but I'm running out of time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 says this, Rejoice always, pray continually. Now, those four words, rejoice always, pray continually, those are two verses of the Bible. So guess what? We done memorized the Bible at church today. You know, the best way to memorize the Bible is start with the short ones. Jesus wept. Pray continually. Rejoice always. Look at us. We're up to three. Let's go. Come on. Pray continually. How do I do that? That sounds like a tall order, doesn't it? Like, Wow. I bet the pastor prays continually. You know, like, listen, praying continually doesn't mean I go in the prayer closet, close the door, meet on my knees all day and never come out. That's not what that means. Because you were designed to live life. You were designed to interact with people. So praying always means I just bring prayer into everything that I'm involved in. So as I'm driving on the 408, oh, you got to pray there, baby. If you get on I-4, we got to pray with you. You know what I'm saying? Like you pray in there. I'm praying as I'm eating my lunch. I'm praying in the meeting. I'm praying everywhere. I just bring prayer into everything. And, and, you know, it's, it's brought into everything. He says this in the next verse, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus so many people ask the question what is God's will for my life pray always rejoice in everything give thanks in all things that's God's will for your life so if you want to know what did God create you to do it's to pray always rejoice in everything and give thanks in all circumstances this is God's will for your life see the Bible is is clear If we will just open it up and read it, God will speak to us out of it and give us wisdom in it. I believe you can have a vibrant and powerful prayer life. Here's the next one. If you want to continually be in God's presence, you got to turn off distractions. Now this one is super hard for me. (laughs) 
just because of the way my personality is and the way God made me is that my mind is like constantly going. I'm like, I've got this to do and I've got this project we're working on and this detail to work out and I've got this meeting and uh, my phone is buzzing over there and I hear this message and like, who did, did they answer my email about this? Like, anybody else? Just the way culture is, we're just constantly, constantly got all this distractions and things overwhelming us. And then it's things like, I got to make sure I keep up with my kids' schedule and school schedules. And then, you know, the big game is on tonight or whatever. And then, you know, I, I need some downtime. My spouse has, you know, a list of stuff for me to do at the house and, all, and laundry and groceries and bills. And, and it's just like, man, where does God fit in there? And it could be that we haven't felt the presence of God could it be that we haven't felt the power of God moving in our lives because we haven't taken the time to silence the distractions and be in his presence? Psalms 46.10, God is speaking and he actually tells us in clear and plain language how we can be in his presence. Look what he says. Be still and know that I am God. <laughs> just saying those words, be still, kind of makes me a little uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, anybody else? Like, it's just like, but God, you know what I got to do today. It's just, it, but it's something I have to work on. See, when I'm willing to say, okay, there's all this other stuff, but what does it really matter? Like, what matters is being in his presence. If I truly believe that, that the most important thing I can do is to continually be in his presence, then why does all this other stuff want to come in and override what's the most important? I've got to be willing to silence the distraction. That's how you know it's a distraction, if it's overriding. He says, he doesn't say be frantic and know that I'm God. He doesn't say be on the go and know that I'm God. That's fine. Pray on the go. But there's got to be moments on a regular basis, if I really want to be in the presence of God, where I pause, where I stop. Everything else is silenced. It's just me and the Father, and I'm quiet. See, we like to come to God. We're like, God, this is going on. i got this need, and now i got to go do this. See ya. <laughs> You ever had that friend who does all the talking and you can never get a word in edgewise and they only want their way? It doesn't matter what thoughts you have. Yeah, that was a great idea, but listen to what I have. I wonder if God sees us that way sometimes. And I said that wrong. God doesn't see us that way. But I wonder if that's how we come to him sometimes. He says, be still. That's hard, but it's okay. Because, God, I want to be in your presence. I'm willing to do hard things to be in your presence, God. And listen, can I encourage you? You can do the hard things. You can do it. You can do it. And there will be rewards from it. Here's the next way to be continually in God's presence is to worship. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Is to worship. Worship at its core, I believe, is not about a song but about priority. Worship is Priority, what is going to be the main thing in my life? My pastor growing up told me all the time, he said, Chris, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. <laughs> and the main thing is Jesus. Jesus is the main thing. But for some people, their main thing is self, self-love, me time. For others, their main thing is their sport or a hobby or their team. They worship the false god of foot bail or basket bail or whatever other bail there is. For others, their main thing is money, the pursuit of their dreams, their opinions, their feelings, or whatever it is. There's countless things. But listen, anything that wants to exalt itself above God is now the thing that I worship. If you want to know the thing that is priority in your life, the thing you are giving your worship to, I'll tell you. Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook. Whatever's priority, whatever's getting the most and the best and the first, 
That's the thing that is priority. That is the thing that is getting your worship. If we want to continually be in the presence of God, then there's an adjustment to say, God, I will worship you. You are priority in our life. So I would just say, don't let your worship be restrained to three or four songs on a Sunday morning here in this place. No, worship is every moment of the day. Psalms 34, 3 says, Oh, magnify my troubles with me. Is that what it says? Come on, don't let me get away with stuff. They got it on the screen. Oh, magnify what all the people said about me. Oh, magnify the thoughts that I had about what I think they're saying about me, but they probably aren't. No, oh, magnify the Lord with me. In other words, we're deciding what we magnify. So what are you magnifying? When you magnify something, you're not making the subject bigger. I'm changing how I see the thing I'm looking at. So when I'm looking at magnifying my problems, my problems get bigger and bigger and bigger. But when I magnify the Lord, he says, let us exalt his name together. When I seek the Lord this way, he hears me. God hears your prayers and he delivers me from all my fears. So when fear is magnified in my life, when doubt or worry is magnified and I talk about it and I rehearse it, that thing gets bigger and bigger. But when I begin to worship, when I begin to magnify the Lord, you know that thing that seemed too big, that seemed impossible to deal with before, all of a sudden doesn't seem so big because the delivering power of God begins to move in when he gets bigger. When we look at him and say, God, you are greater than any Anything that I face. Come on, let's get to our feet today. I believe God wants to move in this place. He wants to set some things right where we've allowed other things to be priority, where we've magnified some things. And today God has brought you to this place because he's the God of grace. And he's saying, son, daughter, let's change what we've been magnifying. I want to encourage you today. Magnify the Lord with me. We're going to exalt his name. And if you need people. For some of us in this place, you recognize even as we're talking, maybe the Holy Spirit brought some names and some people in your life that you've been wrongly related with. Or maybe you just haven't been connected at all in a, in a life-giving environment with people of faith. Maybe you find yourself and you don't have anybody that's speaking into your life. You need to be rightly related and the Holy Spirit's been drawn and you want to be connected. I need to be rightly related. Maybe you find yourself in the other place where you recognize, man, I haven't been praying, but I hear you, Pastor. I'm, I'm going to begin to pray. I might not be the best today, but I will do it today. Today will be the worst I ever prayed. Tomorrow I'll pray better. Wherever you find yourself on this today, you recognize, man, I need the presence of God. Maybe you find yourself in that place where there's no joy in your life. You find yourself overwhelmed by everything else. And to, even just hearing those words, the soothing presence of God, the calming presence of God. Man, it sounds so nice. And until this moment, it's felt unattainable. But I'm telling you today, it's not unattainable. In fact, the presence of God is here right now to minister his soothing power in your life. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through his word.